You sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best? Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and f*** the prom queen. Welcome to the best soccer show. The best soccer show in the whole world. Here we go. Best soccer show. Backheel.com. Jason Davis. Jared Duval back at it after a brief uh, brief break because Jared has to work nights sometimes. Is that like, what's that like, working nights? Well, it was actually, to be honest, it was like, a, it's a second shift. So it's kind of like that swing shift. It's like, uh, like noon to one in the afternoon to about uh, 10 o'clock night. It's it's probably the worst of the shifts to be honest with you. Like third shift is tough, like graveyard because like you're just opposite schedule and you have to sleep during the day and stuff. The second shift is kind of weird because you just you realize you don't see your betrothed at all. <laughs> your betrothed. Like I come to bed, I get home at midnight, I get to bed at midnight, she's already in bed, I go to sleep, she wakes up and goes to sleep to bed to work. I wake up and take the kids to school and everything like that. Like it just there is no there is no love life. Yeah, there's no overlap to get, to get intimate. Yeah, that's there's I can t- I can imagine that they're not being in any overlap has got to be a an issue. Now I don't really need to know about you being intimate necessarily, but I, I I'm glad that what you're I not- will say though is that by 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 me, us being on different shifts on um, different things, I was able to take actually the knowledge I gained from the best soccer show and binge watch a suggestion, which was Broad City last week, oh. which I love. Yeah, is it that good? I, I just haven't had time to squeeze it in. I, I'll admit that I haven't had time to squeeze it in. So it's it lives up to the billing, then. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a little bit slow start. You could tell it was like it, it was adopted from internet show. You can kind of see that because sometimes it's kind of small little encapsulated bits, but um, I think it's I think it's great. I, I just love that it's just it's kind of like I love that you kind of flip flop the paradigm of like like slacker guys doing doing nothing, kind of like Seth Rogen kind of stuff where it's just like the lovable slacker, and it's always a dude. And it's like that they've made the lovable like drug addled like slacker into chicks. Right. Yeah. That, that that's the feeling I get from everything. And Hannibal Burst is absolutely fantastic. Okay. Hannibal Burst is the truth. He's the truth. Hannibal Burst is the truth. Big Sunday night edition of the program for you. Plenty of things to talk about in the soccer world. Before we get into that, though, I, I, you, you mentioned this, um, because we're Facebook friends, because, you know, doing a show together, how could we not be Facebook friends? Which means we get to see each other, uh, each other's kids a lot, because that's what Facebook is for, right? Share pictures of your kids. Oh, let me guess. Let me, let, let me guess. Livia, you want to you want to you want to clown on the fact that I had to go someplace that had snow brought in for my kids. No, 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 no. I by the way, I love that video. <laughs> How can you not laugh? As long as the kid's okay. But <laughs> people who are not Facebook friends with Jerry Dubois are missing out. No, I was going to talk about you. You mentioning my experience at the Aaron the the Smithsonian Aaron Space Museum with my six year old on Saturday, and. I was thinking about this. Like, I love that place. Like, it's cool. I grew up in Air Force Brats. So I got a p- plane fascination anyway. And you get to see all the history and all the, the mechanical elements. And they do science stuff to teach kids. Like, here's uh, how air pressure works. Here's how gravity wear- works. Here's how, you know, all these, these various, uh, physical concepts. But a six year old doesn't want to do any. He just wants to hit buttons and like make stuff move. Like, he's not really picking up on it. And I don't, I, I, do you think it's wasted? Like going and seeing, like the spirit of St. Louis is on display at the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. 
the the plane that crossed the Atlantic when nobody thought it could be done, blah, blah, blah. But do you think it's wasted? Did I waste my time? Uh, oh, maybe only because he's six, you know, and he, like conceptually. Uh, but here's the thing. All he, he, what he does know is that planes are cool. Planes are cool. And he got to like play around with like plane stuff all day. And I think that's when you boil it down to it. And I'll get I'll get sensitive here for a moment. What's important is that a dad had some sun time and did something fun together. <laughs> but now speaking of your air, your Air Force and like uh, aeronautic fetish. It did, growing up and like loving planes, as the, your Iron, Iron Eagle dedication uh, demonstrates, is Kelly McGillis. Growing up, was Kelly McGillis the ultimate woman for you? Because no, kind of hot here, chick that has knowledge knowledge uh, of air uh, of uh, air flight well, and the math that goes into it. Okay, you know, like she has top secret clearance. Was, was that was that the girl? Well, think about this for a second, okay? I'm probably I was probably six or seven years old when Top Gun came out, so it's a little early. Yeah. in my in my uh, you know development so to speak so i'm not necessarily and i don't think i saw it right then i don't know re- i don't remember when i finally saw top gun and i got I, you know you certainly pick up on how hot kelly mcgillis is in top gun but at the same time and, and maybe this is pulling back the curtain and maybe i'm the only one that feels this way i'd love to hear from other air force brats we resented the hell out of that movie because it was a navy movie not an air force movie Oh my god, that that is the that is so like soccer Euro snob kind of stuff, you know? Like it's just like oh, that's not our stuff. So like it, 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 oh, that that bothers me. But just by just because you weren't a contemporary of Top Gun when it's released, listen, I was I was probably like four years old when Stripes came out, but I loved the shower scene the first time I saw it. Not when you were four, you didn't, and if you did, then you're skeezier than John Larroquette in that movie. Uh, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to some t- some soccer topics tonight. Uh, plenty to talk about. We it's been a little while since we've been together. Um, we didn't really get a chance to talk out the the Sebastian Giovinco signing in Toronto. It's old news for a lot of people, and yet it remains sort of the biggest story of the winter at this point. And there is a little bit of news trickling out in the fact that apparently Juve and TFC and the agent are trying to work out a deal. That'll allow him to join TFC at the beginning of the season. How big would that be, Jared, to get Juvenco in in March rather than in July? It's huge when you think about it. Um, all three of their big name players ready to go at the beginning of the season. Um, it's a, definitely a, a a big move and a big advantage over teams like NYC FC and uh, LA, who are going to have to wait till mid season to get their de- designated player um, forces. Uh, it, it, uh, at their disposal. And for Toronto FC as well, I think it's a huge advantage because if you think about the fact that you're changing a couple of big pieces in the squad, the earlier you and more time you can give them over the course of the season, the better chance you have for the gelling and get results out of it in 2015. Um, I think LA is probably the luckiest in those in that they already have a lot of returning cogs of a very well-oiled machine and they're just going to add one. NYCFC, I think it's a huge loss. They had not having Franklin Lampard there right off the bat. And despite bringing a mixed disc rude and who's not nearly the same caliber as Frank Lampard, um, I, I think Toronto kind of knows that they've got some work ahead of them. They get left a bad taste in their fans' mouth last season. You know, a lot of things went wrong. To have all your DPs and your marquee guys ready to go, listen, listen, Let's not uh, kid ourselves either. It's going to help season ticket sales as well. Having Giovinco and being able to sell that to a uh, Toronto fan base, 
I think is a is a big deal. And so if they can work it out, more power to them. I think it's a great move. Yeah. In addition to that news that they may be working out an early release for Giovinco, again, he's getting paid a lot of money in Toronto. And if he's not going to play that much for Juve, then figure this out. Get him to TFC. Let him get settled. Let him play a full season. Give uh, TFC full bang for their buck. The other element of this is, you know, that a continual back and forth. I mean, in the aftermath of Giovinco signing, Jared, there was that that stupid opinion piece out there that said he was selling his soul to join TFC. There's been some talk about, you know, obviously he's he's trading Syria for MLS. Well, that's a step down and blah, blah, blah. And while some of that's true, we, you know, we as fans get to stand here in judgment while these guys try to make as much money in a limited physical career, uh, a limited uh, uh, athletic career as possible. And now you've got the head coach of the Italian national team uh, chiming in on this. Um, Antonio Conte says he would have made the same same decision. He said, what else should he have done? In a few years, players will elbow each other to go to MLS. MLS will grow so much and mm. not just term, in terms of chatter. According to the latest surveys, young Americans, blah, blah, blah. He, he cites surveys that we've cited on this show about how many kids love this sport and how it's going to change in the future. He said, um, he says, Sebastian made an important economic decision. Who gives you that kind of money? And it's not going to go there and pass the time because I know him. He's a good guy. It's an opportunity that as a soccer player, I would have taken immediately. I never had the experience overseas and it's very formative. So there's, you know, it's, yep. go ahead. Oh. What, what what I wondered though is will they call him in? That's the question. Will Conte call him in? I I don't know. And he did. It's not like he's a fixture for the Italian national team either. I mean, he's played. He's got some caps, but he's not. He's not one of the guys that's the center of that team. But it's yeah. It's a, it's a really important answer though because you want. I, I personally, from an experimental standpoint, I want to know if at one of the, but let's say, premier national teams of Europe, definitely, it definitely won't be storied. I mean, back and forth in current form. But if Giovinco is lighting it up, most of, let's say he's the assist leader in MLS over the course of the season, playing great, is he that still good enough for a national team coach in Europe at a high profile team to bring him in unless? things are going wrong. I see, and maybe this is just me being negative and uh, maybe I'm not positive enough about this, but I see is, um, okay, if he's struggling a little bit, bring Giovinco just to see if we can push other guys or maybe as, a, as an alternative to the guys in camp. I don't know that he's going to ever be a first choice no. na- Italian national team player playing right now in MLS. For the same reasons that I think the same mentality Klinsman has of the the player needs to push themselves and be playing at the highest level all the time to compete at an international level for certain types of teams. And I think Italy is one of the teams. I would love for him, I would love for that not to be true, but I think it is. But on the grander scale, in terms of, you mentioned the, the kind of the, the piece that came out knocking uh, his choice to come to MLS. I didn't read it myself. I'm, I really, I work really hard these days not to click those kind of links when, when it happens. But, uh, so I'm a bit, uh, I, all I know is the headlines, what people saw, I saw saying about it. But I would much rather have that problem. The guy went to MLS too soon. Why is he going there? That league's not good enough for him. I'd rather have that talking point and that debate and that moniker surrounding MLS than the that guy's going over 37 because it's a retirement league. Yeah, the, you know, it's important to remember that the, the Italian national team has a tradition of calling up Syria guys and nobody else. I mean, it's very rare 
In fact, it's only been in the last couple of years sure. that you've seen guys playing outside of Italy get called into that team. I mean, Mario Balotelli, when he was playing outside of Italy, got called in. Uh, you, you've had some guys in France, I think, at PSG. Uh, beyond that, though, it's very, very rare to see players outside of Italy get called up. So I, if he doesn't, I'm not sure it's necessarily a comment on MLS or Givinko's playing at that point. I mean, if he's tearing up the league and he doesn't call, get called in, you know, people are going to say something. But then again, I'm not sure we would would have expected it anyway. But how how much how angry is Joy Saputo that a 27 year old Italian international came to MLS and he didn't get him? He's got to be fuming over this. I don't know. Is he? Do you think because because he's the guy with the Italian connections that he's fuming? He he's trying it, all of his might to make it, a Montreal impact in uh, into a Italian Serie A team playing in MLS. From color and branding to the <laughs> type of player he's brought in, it's obvious what he's trying to do. And then these this golden opportunity to bring a, a young Italian of of skill into the league comes in. And I mean, I I don't think he's got the cash to splash for this kind of player with Montreal, but. It's got to hurt because, I mean, you got to think that's what he was trying to do. That's what he's been trying to do since he came into this league. I, I suppose. I suppose there's probably some element of it, and he's been one up not only by another MLS team, but by another Canadian MLS team and, and Montreal's biggest rival. Uh, it'll be fascinating to watch. I mean, not, Montreal's not making a ton of splashy moves. Laurent Simon's a coup, but it's a different kind of signing. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what goes on there. Speaking of designated players, let's just tap this in here. Chicago Fire expected to announce the signing of Sean Maloney from Wigan Athletic tomorrow in uh, Chicago. Uh, that'll be uh, that's a designated player signing. He's 31. He's kind of in that. He's exactly what you would expect the Chicago Fire to be signing as a DP at this point, don't you think? Yeah, that's almost. I think I put exactly that sentence out on Twitter earlier tonight, followed by the sentence that it's all the more reason why Chicago needs to just do a reboot. And by reboot, I don't mean they need to rebrand and make everything different, change their name or anything like that. I just think they need to do the type of wipe that saw that New York Red Bulls just did. And the difference is, Chicago Fire deserves that type of wipe. New York Red Bulls didn't deserve that type of wipe. But I think you start, you wipe the GM, you wipe the coach, you start to slate clean, and you start over, and you try to make a franchise worthy of a top three city in the United States because that's what Chicago should be. It should be one of the premier cities that gets uh, internationals brought to it. Granted, it doesn't have the beats of LA. It doesn't have the glitz of New York. But that is a major, major metropolitan area in the middle of America. And I don't feel that they've ever represented that type of level or commitment to being a top three market in MLS. And I, this this type of signing, the other DP signings they've done in their past, it's just they've never – Sean Maloney could light the league up and be great and an absolute great signing on the field. It still lets me down that they can't bring anyone in that really turns my head yeah. and goes, ooh, well, I mean, business. look, Blanco was good for them for a while, but that's the only one that they've Oh, but on. it was a retread. I know. I, re at I that agree. point, come on. I know. I agree. He was aging at that point. He's still playing, by the way. He just made his final appearance at Azteca as a, as a player this past weekend. Can you believe that? <laughs> he's 40 years old. And he was... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he was mayor. worshipped like a sun god. Yeah, he <laughs> he's also running for mayor down there. It's going to be fantastic to watch Blanco in his post-soccer career. All right, the phone lines are open tonight, 347-756-6276. 
is the phone number you need to use. That's uh, that's the soccer morning number, and uh, we'll just make it the best soccer show number for now. 347-756-6276. Any thoughts on Giovinco, Sean Maloney, anything else happening around MLS? Do you want to turn? you want to stick within the league? you want to turn to the U-20s who went ahead and qualified for the U-20 World Cup this summer, Jared? I mean, after those first two matches, I think people were really worried. They All they did after that was score, score 13 goals, not give up one, and qualify for the for the World Cup. Um, I think uh, like like most of the time when we talk about the 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 senior women's national team too, there's an expectation that the U.S. should just cruise, and because the U.S. continues not to cruise through any type of qualifying at any level, uh, fans get uneasy with it. And the way this team started off by putting its foot in a hole. I think made a lot of people really nervous. Granted, like you said, at the end of the day, they accomplished everything, and I'm happy for them. I think they 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 did what they were supposed to do. Okay, they're going to be in New Zealand uh, come uh, come summertime, and for that, fantastic. But they still got some work to do. Um, I still wonder is who is the the guy that's going to be the midfielder that's going to be the creative force? Is it going to be Junior Flores? Is it going to be uh, someone else? I, I I don't know who it's going to be right now, and I wonder if. Is Gideon's LLM going to be a player role in this team by by summertime? There's a lot of questions still to go, um, but I'm just happy that they're going to be there and they they they, they accomplish what they're meant to do. But mm-hmm. I still want to see, like we've talked about before, a consistent style of play at least at three different levels of this uh, this national team: the U20s, U23, and the senior national. I'm just still not seeing it. No, and I don't know. <sighs> Yeah, I, I I I just don't know if it's going to be any better with uh with the the hiring just made it to U twenty three levels either. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens to U twenty three. Andy Herzog named head coach of that team for the U S. Uh, as they'll uh, get ready to qualify for the Olympics in twenty uh, twenty sixteen in Rio. You know the uh the U twenty tournament was pretty much American soccer's position right now in the world in a microcosm right an obvious an obvious continental power that struggled against some pretty weak competition at the beginning of the tournament figured some things out but had to revert to a different sort of setup in order to get it done go to two strikers versus the 4-3-3 they they get to this point and and I, look it's not that wasn't the full team there's a couple of guys missing and you had some good performances um uh, but Russell Canoose is getting a lot of praise. Uh, Matt Miazga played pretty well. Obviously, you know Tommy Thompson and and uh, Emerson Hyman. But at the same time, it's just it's not good enough for what we think they should be. Five seven one, you're on the air. Yo, five seven one. Who's this? And they're gone. All right. So forget the phone call. You know what I'm saying, Jared? It, 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 it's it, it, it's where we are. It's it's this this thing where we go into these tournaments thinking we should dominate. We should go to the championship game against Mexico. They fail, but they succeed, and now we're scratching our heads going, what does it mean? Yeah, but at the same time, though, I mean, the U.S. has also qualified first out of its group in the in the recent past for World Cups. Uh, it's just the way, the manner in which it's done. I, I just think the, I think the average U.S. soccer fan is not happy with the speed at which the U.S. is becoming a consistent power. By that, I mean one that every game goes out and plays a consistent style and forces it upon the other team. I think more often than not, like you said, the U.S. is having to change its system to meet its opponent, like you said, with the adjustment to the 4-3-3. I think 
most U.S. soccer fans are of the opinion that the other teams should be changing to to kind of deflect our style. We should be imposing our style on these teams, and more often than not, that's not the case. But we're tactically strong enough and athletically strong enough to change what we need to do mid-game, change our formation into one that's going to basically uh, offset the, that of our opponent and get a result. But it kind of is an addition by subtraction. I think that's what, kind of what you were alluding to with the way you said it. Uh, yeah, there's something to that. I mean, we'll see. Uh, again, we'll see what they do at the World Cup. And if you remember the last one, the only thing, the only bright spot at the at the U twenty World Cup for the United States the last time around was Luis Gill played pretty well. Other than that, and they had a very difficult group. If I remember, it's something like France, Spain, and Germany. I mean, it was like a, a murder. It wasn't that bad, but it was a murderer's row in terms of the group um, that the United States ended up uh, with at the U twenty World Cup last time around. That being said, though, that being said, I'm really excited to see what another season of MLS does for Tommy Thompson and for Bradford Jameson. I'm almost, I almost wish that Bradford Jameson, the, the Galaxy may trade him or get him out to another team because I don't see him penetrating that first team in the near future with Jesse Zardes and Robbie Keane up front. And mm. I worry about his... Um, over the next five, six months, his growth potential playing just for the Gal- Galaxy 2. Whereas yeah, Tommy Thompson, he's positioned very well to get a lot of minutes in sure, MLS at sure. a decent level, but, but definitely more than some of his counterparts, and uh, and be ready for a World Cup that where he can maybe be the creative force from out wide. We'll see. I mean, there's a couple question marks like that. And uh, Roman Gall is another one where, statistically, great tournament. I don't know that he was as good as his numbers really say he was due to penalty kicks and situational type things and the game against Bermuda. So I don't Aruba. know if he was as good as the, 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 the statistics make it look, but I still think he's a quality player with a lot to prove. Well, we'll see what he does in, I mean, he, he, Columbus. I mean, he may end up in a, in a USL pro situation as well. They don't have a, a two, they don't have a, a, an entire team that they're running. They, I think they're uh, partnered with the Aztecs this year. So we'll see how that goes for, for Romain Gauls. 386, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, this is Scott from Florida. What's going on, Scott? Hey. Oh, um, I was just wondering, well, first of all, it's it's pretty crazy for me to say that an Orlando City player is on the national team with Breck Shea. Um, that's absolutely surreal. But I was just wondering, um, Adrian Heath, our coach, has been talking about uh, bringing uh, Black Shea to play as a left back because we've got Carlos Rivas coming in and he's supposed to be a really good uh, winger on that side. Um, and I was just wondering, do you think Black Shea has any possibility at the left back for the USA? No. Um, in no. the future, and I'll just take my uh, answer off. The no, head. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think that that's. Ex- I mean, you've got Greg Garza. Um, you've got you've got some talented kids coming through. I don't know why on earth you would want to. Shift Breck Shea to left back and then somehow make him a national teamer on that. He's not good enough. I mean, Robbie Rogers, I yeah, think. Yeah, I'd be really, I'd be really worried. I'd be really worried with that as well, Jason. Sorry to cut you off there, but, um, I, I think that if you think about Breck Shea and the things he wants to try and the things he wants to do is, is a style that could really lend itself to turnovers and the part of the field that he'd be playing a left back, that would make me very nervous. Uh, cause I just don't know if he has it in him to change his instinctual game to be one of more, being more conservative. 
Um, I, I think I still think he's got a chance of being a left midfielder for the U.S. national team. And I think it'd be really odd to see a guy that came into the league kind of as a striker, to be honest with you, with Dallas, mm-hmm. and then move back into midfield and then move all the way back to left back. That's a really he did. Uh, I don't play, know. That's a, he did that's play a le- lot of moves for a very young guy. Maybe, but he, he did actually play a little bit of left back for FC Dallas when he was sort of breaking in with them uh, a couple years back in his first yeah. first or second year in the league. That was something for whatever reason Shellis Hyman decided to do with him. It was he wasn't ready to to be a midfield force, but they put him back there with his speed and his creativity. It, it sort of worked. He's not a defender. Um, and, and that's the issue. I mean, I don't think he's going to be able to, I don't think he's, I don't mean this to sound as negative as it, as it will, Jerry, but I'm not sure that Breck Shea has the soccer brain to, to make that move. Yeah, I think when you think about guys like Robbie Rogers and Chris Albright, other guys that have made those moves in their career, very intelligent players. I mean, soccer brains and soccer IQ are very high. And not to say, I mean, granted, this may just be our impression of Breck Shea, the good old boy, the reputation that he has and persona that he has, and maybe we're all misconceived. We don't know him as a real guy. know him as a real person Uh, and so we all we have to work off is these kind of things that we know on the outline of his persona but the way he is in the field makes me feel that as well he just seems like um i'm trying to think of an an equivalent to it like just a guy that's a natural like uh, for example okay i'm a big fan of so you think you could dance you know that about me right (laughs) yes i do hold on (laughs) i do know that about you hold on jay rodius And on that show, they you constantly see these guys come on the show that are amazing street dancers. I mean, amazing street dancers. What they can do is amazing. Never had a day of formal training. But they can't do all the stuff the show requires of them because they don't have the classical training and the hours put in to really have a good foundation bit off of. And I think Breck Shea is like one of those street dancers, you know? He's a guy who just he feels the music, he does what he has to do and he doesn't really think about the stuff he does, but when he does it, sometimes it looks awesome and it looks great. I don't know that he has the foundation to be a different type of player than what he is right now. I don't know if he knows how to do that. I don't see any evidence of that. And like I said, it could just be a misconception on my part, but that's how I feel about it, man. He just You ask the guy to do ballet, he can't do it, but he can dance. He just can't do that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, left backs, uh, Robbie Rogers has been in the news just a little bit, um, particularly because not only is he taking on FIFA and addressing FIFA's lack of support for gay athletes uh, at the highest levels of international soccer, he is also with his his uh, his public uh, publicity campaigns and his books and everything else has addressed the issue of Jurgen Klinsmann's relationship with him. He's known Jurgen Klinsmann since he was 12 years old in Southern California. You know the story, the history of of Robbie Rogers and Jurgen Klinsmann having played on the same team when Jurgen Klinsmann was doing that yes. uh, that uh, that uh, pseudonym ish uh, pseudonym thing as Jay Goppingen. Now, the story goes, Jared, that Robbie Rogers reached out to Jurgen Klinsmann, probably through email, that's what people do these days, when he was coming out of the closet. Now, what Robbie says is that I don't know what he thinks of me as a soccer player, and he didn't respond to this. Now, in the recent, you know, with the U.S. camp going on, people have asked about this, and Klinsmann says, um, you know, I'm happy to have that conversation with him. I was respecting his privacy. I didn't think a response was was required or necessary. Do you buy that or I'm not saying that Gergen Klinsmann's a homophobe, but do you uh, do you buy that he just thought, hey, I no, don't it, it doesn't mean that he's a homophobe or anything like that. 
What does but it mean? It's odd. It's odd that you have this young kid that reaching out to you. I mean, he's not that young. I mean, he's in his 20s, but you can give him a relationship to Klinsman. You have this young guy that is going through the toughest thing of his entire life. And in the middle of that, thinks to reach out to you in some manner. And you, I don't know that you need to necessarily run to his side and be, be the guy that, he's, that he leans on, but... How about a little like a little hit reply and say I'm with you, homie. You like it just it doesn't take much. It's a couple of, less characters than in a tweet would have been. You could have said something to be like, hey, I'm there for you. Yeah, you but know, that doesn't take much. I, so it is kind of odd. And I, I do know, think I, it's odd. I think I it's know. odd. I, I don't want to get into the whole like, what does this mean about Jurgen Klinsmann's feelings about homosexuality? No. Think that. I don't think it's about that, but. It does kind of line up with some of the other things you hear from players about. He's not really big on the warm and fuzzies. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I think that's what it is. I think that Jurgen Klinsmann is not a guy who picks up the phone and lets guy, lets people know what what's going on. I don't think he keeps in touch. I don't think it's I don't think he feels. Now again, this is the the issue for me is is somebody he's known for a very long time, as you said, making a major announcement, a major life decision. And him saying, "Hey, you know, here's my thing," and all Jurgen Klinsmann has to do is hit reply. You know, congratulations, I'm totally behind you. And hit send, boom, that's it, right? That's all. Yeah, I think Jurgen Klinsmann. Even you can kind of uh, extrapolate this a bit to the Landon Donovan situation. I think he sees struggle as weakness at times, struggle outside of the game. When you think about Landon Donovan's head space and where he was at. It was obvious that Landon Donovan needed to do something, and Reardon Klinsman sees those type of distractions or things as, I don't know, I don't, I shouldn't say he sees them. It feels like he sees them as kind of weakness, you know. And I, I it, it's odd to me. I think he likes it when you struggle for greatness or you struggle through something that makes the, you makes character within the game. But I don't think he likes it when off the field meets on the field. I get that feeling from him because Maybe. he's so precise and as a player he was so focused. That I think what he worries when the guys are worried about things outside of the game. I, can't, I don't know. That's I, just me. I mean, it's it's my interpretation of it. No, I, and I can't think of anything better than the idea of Jurgen Klinsmann doing what you said, calling up Robbie Rogers and being like, I, I, "I'm with you, homie." Like that just sounds like so much. Like I want to the chopper. I, I want to hear Jurgen Klinsmann use the word homie. How do we make that happen, homie? <laughs> homie <laughs> i don't know how we make that happen but we should Jurgen Klinsmann's also called up or, or not called up he's named 23 players from his camp camp strudel for the chile game which i think is friday right that game's coming up quickly uh the united states yeah. uh, in their their first january well the first january camp friendly there's two games one of them is in february actually uh just to clarify, Jason, Chile game is on Wednesday. Sorry, Wednesday at 6 Eastern. Oh, sorry. That's what I meant. Wednesday. Yeah, my, my, you know, my brain and calendars not always get along. So when you look at the 23 guys that Jurgen Klinsmann has named, Jared, anything that stands out to you? I mean, he sent home guys like Tesho Akadele, yeah. Mark Pelosi, some of the young guys you, you wouldn't necessarily expect to feature anyway. Yeah, you know, when we, 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 we kind of threw the Camp Strudel uh, list in general, we knew that there were some guys on there that were just kind of fillers and guys that were um, just a kind of little, uh, just doing a kind of an oil test on them, like a dipstick test on these guys, see where they're at, you know, check in with them. Um, I think the biggest surprise out of all this is the addition of DeAndre Yedlin. Um, 
And I think a lot of people very quickly, myself included, I'm not going to lie, um, want to make a lot of real quick conclusions about Tottenham Hotspur's opinion of him that they're so willing to let him go so quickly from the club he just arrived at. Yeah. What's your take on that? Because I'm nervous when I saw that. Um, I don't know. I mean, you'd love to see him hit the ground running and get some time right away. I, I don't know that it means anything. I, I mean, I think it means that, uh, you know, they don't need him nearly as much as, as he needs some time with the national team. And, you know, that's a club Jurgen Klinsmann's got a lot of pull at because he played there. So I don't, I, maybe it's just a matter of, uh, of some, of, of Tottenham doing the, doing, uh, the United States and Klinsmann a, fa- a favor. I'm not going to overanalyze that. I, I guess it could be that way. And don't get me wrong. I'm happy to have DeAndre Yedlin in camp and to have him get some time with the national team. Um, just a little odd, you know, and, uh, I think most of us, uh, what we've devolved to in terms of a Yank abroad culture that now I have to try to watch Tottenham Hotspur's training videos online to check in on a prominent American. And what it used to be like, I could watch games on the weekend. Now we've got to watch like five minute uh, training videos. This is, it's not, it's not fun to be a fan of Americans abroad these days. <laughs> That's why I'm not sweating it. So many of these Americans are coming back to MLS. I think this is going to be one of the more fascinating years in MLS history. I'm not saying it's going to be the best or the, the, the quality of play will be the best or even that these players will all benefit from the move necessarily. But I just thought, I find myself not worrying too much that there's not a big Yank abroad, Yanks abroad contingent, Jared. I mean, okay. So we've got a couple of guys, you know, it, it it's fine. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like as MLS becomes more willing to pay these top end salaries and, you know, all that relates to the CBA and the future of the league. But for the time being, as the league becomes more willing to pay those salaries, we're going to see more of these big-name American players back here, and I'm fine with that. Let me ask you a question. If I'm, let's go ahead. We can turn this into a pick-your-poison, okay? So if, you, if you're ready, we can turn this one into a pick-your-poison. I think I can do it. If the U.S. struggles and or is terrible at the Gold Cup, does the U.S. fan base, do they blame Jurgen Klinsmann or do they start turning on the American player who came back to MLS and isn't challenging themselves? Like does, does, it, does it basically verify the Jurgen Klinsmann's um, claims re- recently about what America should be doing. And so therefore the U.S. fans maybe cut Jurgen Klinsmann some slack and, or do they start and do they start putting it on the players that they're not challenging themselves to go abroad? I think that there will be a group of fans who put it on the players who came back to MLS. I think in reality it would be on the coach. You still have plenty of talent to succeed in that particular tournament. There's no reason to fail at the Gold Cup. So I would put it on Klinsman, but I, I don't know that I'd be in the majority. Because I think, if we, when I think of it, that's the first challenge that the U.S. is really going to have in front of them to really see, are these Americans making the right choices by coming home? Granted, these guys could all play great in MLS, and we could have these great feelings of confidence in them going into international competitions because we're going to see a lot of them, and they'll likely do. I, I have no problem saying that Clint Dempsey, Josie Altador, um, Michael Bradley, these guys will probably be some of the best players in MLS. And I'm worried that we're going to have a false sense of expectation or false sense of security that these guys will then translate to the next level. And we're going to be just shell-shocked when we see these guys play at an international level and they may just not be good enough. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's coming. It's not this summer. I, I just don't think, I, I don't know why you would even, 
let yourself go to the possibility. What do you mean by terrible at the Gold Cup? I mean, because just... I, I'm an American soccer fan, so I'm not happy unless <laughs> I'm not happy unless like things are terrible. I'm an American soccer fan. That's yes, just the way it is. You look, you you wallow in misery as an American soccer. I, I I don't see any reason to be negative about anything related to Americans coming back to MLS or playing in MLS or choosing to stay in MLS until those those things happen. Until you see a a lack of performance at the Gold Cup, and then. Then you, I guess, start worrying. I mean, you know, if Mexico, they get, if they lose to Mexico in an, in a, a 18 gold cup year, the way they lost to Mexico when Bob Bradley got fired. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, what was that? What was the score of that yeah, game? Four, two. I, I, I guess that, I guess that's what we'll be talking about. Yeah. I, I get, I'm, I'm, I just get worried, man. I, I worry. I, I have to find something to worry about at all times. It's just the way I am. You know, and you know what? I'm looking at this 23 man roster right now, and you asked me for some surprises and stuff like that. This one doesn't necessarily surprise me that he's on the team, but I'm surprised. I would have put money back in October that Miguel Ibarra would be on an MLS side come opening day this year. A guy playing at a second division club mm-hmm. that is making, getting national team minutes. Uh, how has no team pried him away from Minnesota United FC? Uh, maybe he's happy there. Maybe there's not enough of an income bump. Maybe. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up, though. Hold up. If a U.S. national team member is happy at a lower station of play, that is not allowed under Baron Klinsman. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what Baron Klinsman has and what Miguel Abara uh, may or may not do. Now, you know, it's, it's Klinsman giving a look to Abara. I mean, he, each individual team still is determining whether or not Abara fits into what they're doing and whether or not they have the salary. I mean, you could argue that if he does get pride away, it's going to mean, you know, it's going to mean a significant raise. MLS teams may not be willing to pay that on a guy who's not proven on their level. Now, you know, again, you could argue that, uh, incoming college kids aren't proven and they're getting $150,000, $200,000 contracts. So why wouldn't Miguel Ibarra? But. Oh, you know uh, you what know, though? That, you know what's odd about this? Would Miguel Ibarra have to go through the like, allocation draft? Allocation I, order. I have no idea, and you're giving me a headache. Why would you want to do that? Because these are the type of things we have to talk about because we do allocation orders. I, I understand that. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he would have to go through the allocation process. He's not coming from overseas. That's usually the reason that players go through the process. But then again, he is coming from a different league. And he would have a new contract with this single entity ML. I don't know. My brain hurts, man. My brain Stop. hurts. My brain hurts so much. My brain hurts so much. Speaking of your brain hurting, think about this possibility. We've already got New York City FC joining the league in 2015. $100 million investment by mm-hmm. Sheikh Mansour, owner of Manchester City, City Sports Group or City Football Group or whatever they're called. Okay. So we've already got some big Petro dollars in the league in the form of NYCFC. Rumors out there now yeah. are that Qatari Sports Investments, who own PSG, make their money on natural gas. Obviously, Qatar, host of the 2022 World Cup, unless something ma- magically changes, is interested in buying the New York Red Bulls, or at least is sniffing around the New York Red Bulls, Jared. Now, the league and the team are both saying we're not, you know, this, this team's not for sale. Red Bull aren't getting out. We're not going anywhere. But just consider the possibility of one market 
two ownership groups, both from the Middle East, both trading on on you know those big money dollars that have changed the way European football runs. But this is the same argument that English folks had about Americans buying English. Teams. Oh, I didn't say it would be bad. It's the same thing. I didn't say it would be bad. I'm asking you, what would it mean? What would it? How would it change MLS? I'm not okay. I'm not saying keep I, them I fall, out. I fall. I fall on. I fall on two sides. Two sides of this, Jason. One, sweet. That's a lot of money coming <laughs> into the league. I love that. I love that. Here's the downside: human rights. There's some issues with Qatar. You know, and do you, does, does MLS necessarily want to align itself with more of that? Granted, somehow they got away pretty clean on the Sheikh Mansour stuff in the NYCFC. I don't know how in America we want to protest anything and everything that that would, that somehow flew. I just wonder how much many more of those you can really kind of bring into the country and start doing dealings with before 60 Minutes or someone like that or HBO Sports wants to do or Vice Sports wants to do a bit of an expose on the people we are now kind of shaking hands with on a daily basis. You know, there's uh, our, our um, friend of uh, Soccer Morning, friend of Best Soccer Show, Rick McGovern, up in Philadelphia, is probably raging at his podcast listening device right now or whenever he listens to this show because he's the one guy I know, and I'm sure there's others out there, but he's the one guy I know and I follow on Twitter who consistently bangs the drum about Sheikh Mansour, uh, about, uh, about the the human rights violations about Mansoor's place in the government in his home country and and all of those things. If the Qataris buy into MLS, I think the man's head might explode. And you do wonder, I mean, how much is it is the league and and I, I know that there's an argument on some level about it's not a human rights thing, but it is a human equality thing. There's a there's an argument about some other owners that have been in this league for a very long time. Some of them founding owners who have put a lot of money into MLS. But you wonder if if, if MLS is, I don't want to say selling their soul because I don't I don't want to. Money makes the world go round. If you have money, you get to do stuff, and MLS is not immune to that. They would be no different than almost any other league in the world. Who's going to turn down that kind of cash? Do you really want... It's, a- danger- it's dangerous bedfellows, Jason. It's dangerous bedfellows because would those two teams sign a Robbie Rogers? Well, uh, maybe, I mean, possibly. They, can, now- they couldn't. But I, I wonder if the, they would sign a player like that because that doesn't necessarily line up with a lot of people that own that company or work with that company's lifestyles and beliefs. I don't know that that's the issue because I've actually heard, you know, Manchester City, in light of some of the criticism from Mansoor, say stuff like, well, we're supporting LGBT and inequality in Manchester. We have programs where we're really involved in the community that way. I think that for, I think, I think that he's a businessman. And I think that what that means is that he sees each part of his business or his life or his, whatever his responsibilities are as compartmentalized. So Manchester is this kind of place with this kind of culture that they support equality. You know, you, okay, but is, that's all well and good to say, but come off season, come the off season, when you take your teams and you bring them to Dubai to do friendlies and stuff like that, does Robbie Rogers get on that plane with the rest of the team? Sure. Come? No, sure. There, there is that to consider. I think for me, the bigger issue is, and, I, and obviously that's, that's a concern. But for me, I think the bigger issue is whether or not you want MLS, meaning the guys in New York, in that building, making the decisions about who gets to own teams and where those teams go, all of that. It's it's not Don, just Don Garber. It's actually the other owners as well. But Don Garber talking to those to that board of governors when they meet, 
The question for me is whether you want MLS to be the type of league that quote unquote takes a stand on these things. If you want MLS to have some sort of moral compass when it comes to whether or not Mansoor should own a team or Qatari investment should own a team, et cetera, et cetera. Man, it's tough. It's tough because if we be honest with you, in terms of my politics, you shouldn't even have Philip Anschutz own a team. Exactly I mean, that's right. Terrible. That's exactly but. right. So if they, 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 from the very beginning, Anschutz was involved. Lots and lots of people disagree with where Philip Anschutz spends his money politically. And yet there he is, backbone of MLS. So if you said, if you, if yeah. the league came out and said, well, you know, and obviously they, they've already gone all the way over with Mansoor. But let's say the league had said, well, Manchester City actually came to us and wanted to buy a team. And we said no, because we want to, we don't want to associate with that, that ownership group for reason X, Y, and Z about human rights and equality and everything else. Then all anybody would do is say, well, what about Phil Anschutz? And then what? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's, 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 it's a tough precedent. It's a t- tough, like a uh, waterfall to crest because once you do, where, where do you really go from there? Um, I, I don't, I don't know, man. The money, the money is is a serious, serious, is serious business. But at the same time, MLS, I mean, from what we can tell, from what we can see, granted, their books aren't open to us. MLS is doing pretty well without having to make those type of concessions. Outside of no, Anschutz, they already did. They it, are Sheik, even without Sheikh Mansour, who's already bought in. MLS isn't doing bad without these no, uh, Qatari no. and, okay. and, 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 and shape okay, okay. money. But, you know? then, but then again, see, now the can of worms is completely open. You've, you've let Mansoor buy in for $100 million. Okay, that's the most obvious example. And you again, go back and look at his record as part of the government and all of that stuff. And, and these, these things should be concerns for some people. But do you also have, you know, I don't know that multi-level marketing companies are really you know, they're on the up and up. I mean, the fact that Herbalife is Ethical. being, yeah, the fact that Herbalife is being investigated says something. And yet here's MLS taking $10 million from, from Herbalife or the, or the Galaxy in this, in this case. Um, you know, obviously there are, you know, there are other, there are other examples around the world that MLS has yet to touch in terms of gambling and payday loan companies. I mean, that's a big one over in England. Wonga and, and some of these other payday loan companies, you know, with the 300% interest. I mean, is that an an ethical stand to say no? We don't want your money if you're a if you're Cash Point. But if Cash Point says comes in and says we're going to give you fifteen million dollars for a shirt front, the league's going to take it. Yeah, I it, I don't know where the line is, man. Yeah. I really don't know where the line is because I want the sport to grow, I want the league to grow, but I have a little thing in the back of my head that says that we're selling a little bit something of ourselves when we do this business. Is, this is why I'm and, not. This is why I'm Man. not gonna to blame anybody who walks away from the league on these issues. Now, if you blow something small up, if you want to claim conspiracy, if you want to go, hey, MLS is is manipulating, blah blah blah, then yeah, that's that's a thing, and and you're probably crazy for walking away. But if you if you walk away because yeah. because of Mansoor, I I really can't argue with that. We do have a caller five seven one. You're on the air. What's up? Hey, what's going on? This is uh, Alex B out in Nova. What's up, Alex? Uh, I'm uh, just wondering. I know it's kind of changing the subject a little bit, but uh, you guys wondered if you could talk about the uh, the hiring of Andy Herzog as the U23 coach for the Olympic effort going forward. Do you I, think? Because uh, I know there was kind of questions about how much influence Jurgen had on Top Ramos and the U20s. Do you think he's going to have a big influence on the U23s through Herzog? And if he does, what what is that style? Like what 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 is the United States in its best form? 
I'll, uh, I'll call and hang up and, and listen to you guys. Thanks, as well. man. Appreciate the call, Alex. J- Jared, I mean, is there anything to say about Andy Herzog other than he's Jurgen's boy? Yeah, and I think that's what is to be said by it. From top to bottom, Andres Herzog is Jurgen's boy. So I think for the first time, you may see a guy that's really going to play a style that may be in line with the, the national team style. The question is, we still don't know what the national team style is. So how do you how do you kind of bring that down to the next level? I, I, Andres Herzog, I don't know what he is as a coach. I only know him as really as a scout. That's what you always hear about Andres Herzog is that he's the guy that's watching all the guys playing in uh, in Germany and uh, other parts of Europe. He's the number one guy for that. He's Jurgen Klinsmann's right hand guy in Europe. Um, that being said, U23s, he's really going to know this next level of young player in Europe that's over there. He has probably watched the guys like Gideon Zela Lim. He has watched uh, guys like Carter, Car- I mean, uh, Cameron Carter Vickers. These guys in U20s coming up to that next level. So I think it's kind of smart in that way because he's been over there scouting young talent. The problem is I don't know that the U23 is necessarily at a level where it's going to be fueled by guys from overseas yet. So I wondered, is he as intimate and as knowledgeable as the, the that level of player stateside? Because I think that's who's going to feed the, this generation of the U23 team. No, I think I think he's probably fairly knowledgeable. How much he's seen of, of them in person, I don't know. But, I mean, the U23 team is going to be that sort of mix. I mean, it's, as you said, there's going to be some of those guys coming up from the U20s, probably not a lot of them. You're going to have, um, you're going to have a... A very professional team, though, and, and hopefully you have a bunch of guys who are playing on the on the top level already. I mean, that's kind of the goal. This this is about wiping out the the bad memories and the, the bad taste from the last time around when they failed to qualify for London. I think Andy Herzog, I think he's got enough of the progressive mindset about the style of play that he is obviously part of the Klinsman project, which is why Caleb Porter got that job the first time around or the last time around. But he's. I, I think that what we're seeing from Klinsman and what we'll probably see at the U23s is that they're not going to be afraid to change it up if it's not working, which means whether or not they have to go more pragmatic or if they have to you know, throw on a second striker when they've been playing with one, whatever it takes. Now, that's not going to fill me with a lot of... That, that doesn't make me happy from the fact that Klinsman has been promising things that he's not, he's not fulfilling, but I do, in, I do think that that's good from the fact we want this team to qualify. We want to see them in Rio. But, I think that I would rather have Caleb Porter as the U23 coach and not qualify playing the way he tried to play. He he didn't do the negotiating. He didn't do the, I'm going to change everything up and go pragmatic style. He committed to something and played it all the way through that tournament. And there's something noble and to be respected about what he was trying to do with that U23 team. I don't look back at that U23 team and see a huge failure. What? I see... And we came up short playing something but, and trying to but, do something kind of lofty. But, but, Jared, the job is to qualify. The job is not in a U23 the tournament. Job is to feed, the job is to feed the national team. Okay, fine. But you can argue that, you know, I, I am less concerned about the U20 overall performance and the quality of their play across the board. But I do think that there's something to be said about the experience of the World Cup. And, and what that means for those kids. And the same thing goes for the U23s. It, it's, it's important for those kids who will be the next generation of, of U.S. Uh, senior level talent to go to the Olympics, to understand what that competition's about, to get sort of the mini World Cup vibe off of it so that they, they can be pre- better prepared for when they do reach that top level. So I think the job 
is to qualify. If you want to talk about a changing the culture and changing the way that the team plays, okay, do that in training. Do that, you know, find a way, I, I, I don't know, find a way to, to schedule a bunch of U23 friendlies and try it there. And if it's not working, when you go out onto the field, you cha- you make a change. I'm not, I don't think that Caleb Porter... I think Caleb, yeah, I feel like you're playing both sides right now. You're playing both sides because you're saying don't try to make the change in games or anything like that. Make it in practice, but at some point you have to imply you have to apply this stuff to games. You have to apply this stuff to yeah, okay. a real life scenario. Right. So I don't I don't I'm see not, how you can have it both ways. I'm not saying play kick and rush soccer for 90 minutes. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, you're down a goal, you need a goal, you're, you're, you're tied, you need a win, that kind of thing, figure out how to make a change and hopefully have those kids ready to be tactically adaptable so that they can play in a manner that allows them to be more effective in that moment against that team that's either flopping or kicking or whatever. I mean, you know, when we watch the U20s, a lot of times what we're seeing is they can, they can pass the ball around. I mean, the Jamaican fields are terrible, but they can pass the ball around. That's not the issue. The issue is getting those chances, getting that killer edge at the, at the front of the, of the formation. Or the issue is not yeah. having, not having a, a target striker who can fill the role that you need a player to fill in a 4-3-3. So what did Tom Ramos do? He said, okay, well, look, we tried this. It wasn't working. We've got a bunch of guys who are 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", who can play with the ball at their feet. We need a little bit more of interchange. Okay, now let's go throw on a second striker, get these guys closer together, and look what we got. We've got more goals. We got, And we we're figuring out a way to win these games so that we can qualify for that tournament where these guys can A, get seen, and B, get some experience. Man, uh, you mentioned Tab Ramos, and that got me back thinking about something that I was thinking about earlier when we started the, 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 the conversation and I, man, I feel like with the Tab Ramos and now Andres Herzog, you're, you're close to picking guys that don't have a whole lot of coaching experience. Now, granted, Andres Herzog was kicking around Austria, working as assistant coach for Austria for, for a few years. Um, and he did have experience, I think, coaching their U21 team. So more than Tab Ramos, but, it is kind of odd that, you know, I, I, that's probably not the right thing to say. He's been with the United States for four years and his title's always been assistant coach. Yeah. We think of him as a, as the guy that's over there overseas, but we don't really know what he's really been tasked to do. Sure. We don't know what he's doing when the, the, when the team meets. He may be overly qualified for this job, to be honest with you. So I, maybe it's a bit irresponsible for me to go on on that. Okay. Fair enough. You just talked yourself out of an argument. I, I think it's a fine choice. I don't have any issues with the choice of, of Andres Her- Herzog. For the U23s, and it's an interesting job. It's, it's it's a very different sort of job. And I think that, you know, Caleb Porter sort of embodied how difficult it can be in those moments. I mean, you know, they didn't play well enough to give themselves a cushion. It comes down to the final game. You get a bad bounce, and that's it. It's over. And you just, you know, you wonder if it was too much for Porter. And, and you know, with the, a guy who works in the system and hears from Klinsman every single day, maybe that's better. Maybe it's a guy who can be a little bit more consistent with his message or is more familiar with these players and has cut contact. Cause I don't get the sense Caleb Porter knew those guys outside of the Akron group. 
No, but you get this sense that Jürgen Klinsmann was able to basically, like, through mitosis, split off and make a second version of himself and put it at the U23s. That's what I kind of feel like with Andreas Herzog getting okay, good getting enough. the job, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I, I, well, no, if you're, if you're, if you believe that Klinsmann uh, should be trying to mold that team in the image of the senior team, then yeah, that's fine. Um, we only got a couple of minutes left here. By the way, I'll throw this in. Speaking of the U20s, Matt Biazga, the uh, the New York Red Bulls product, is a is apparently potentially on his way to uh, Red Bull Leipzig there's something about him traveling to Qatar to join them in their on their winter break and trial for them or something I don't know that it's a done deal but this is out there in Metroland and I just thought it would definitely be he had a fantastic tournament yeah he did play very well in the uh, in the in the uh, CONCAF championship tournament down in Jamaica all right I'm looking over my list of things Uh, I've got St. Louis on the list of possible expansion cities I don't know there's a whole lot to say there other than it's America's uh, most rich soccer history town. I mean, it's a town that's got the most soccer history of probably probably any uh, city in in America, with maybe Philadelphia as a close second. Jared, so I, I get why you would consider St. Louis. If there's a real ownership group stepping up, I, I then they have to consider it. Yeah, I think it's almost like uh, imagine the 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 city that baseball was founded in didn't have a team. I don't know where that is, now, but uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's it's that's not really I, I really don't. I don't Well, care. there's not really one of those. But if there was, <laughs> I don't think that's really No, the it's just, I, I'm not founded necessarily. Not necessarily founded. That might be the wrong, but a city that took it on early and carried it on its back. And it is so much so that it became associated with it. Yes. Okay, I think I that's that. where I'm kind yeah, of going. I, I, going I agree with, with that. I, I think that's exactly where it is. All right. And the last the last little bit here. Uh, actually, let's take a phone call real quick. 661, you're on the air. Hey, you guys. You guys uh, my name is Robert. I'm from LA. What's up, Robert? What up? Hey, guys. I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I know you guys were talking about the U20 and uh, the younger Americans, but my question is, I'm a... Uh, who are the best um, uh, uh, academy coaches teaching the, the next generation of players? <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, I'm sorry. Say, say that again. I, I I didn't get all that. He cut out a little he, bit. Uh, he asked, thanks for the call, man. He asked who are the best academy coaches. And I'll be honest with you. I have no clue. How do we know who the best At academy coaches? At the MLS coaches? level? Uh, yeah, I suppose. No, I mean, look, you've got. Uh, I know Mike Munoz. I know Mike Munoz does. Mike Munoz does the Galaxy Academy, and he came from Chivas, who had a very good academy. And I know LA Galaxy brought him over when Chivas folded. But outside of that, uh, I would because I'm not intimate of very other any other real cities at at that level. I know my local one, but I'm not sure outside of that. That was the second use of the word intimate on the show. You meant him meant that in a very different way from your original mention of the word intimate i basically i know i know that i know that the galaxy academy is wearing black underwear tonight <laughs> all right the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll do here jared and i think this will be a good thing to do every show that we put together between now and the start of the season um i don't have my defcon drops i must have lost those along the way somewhere but if you remember if you, old old heads from this show old listeners to this show will remember when we pulled out the defcon scale from war games in relation to uh i think it was about feelings with of the national team but i think it might even be better applied to the cba negotiation situation jared now are you are you worried i guess i'll ask before i ask for your defcon am i worried i'm i would say i'm slightly worried and what i'm worried about is maybe not necessarily about a work stoppage I'm worried about the stance that I'm seeing players take 
and what that means for them after the season starts or the deal is agreed to. I'm really worried about how many players I'm hearing out there saying free agency or we're not doing it. But I also understand what the hell else are they going to say? Okay, fair they enough. They have to say that. Yeah, fair if enough. If that's their bargaining point, they can't lay down and make it sound like it's not important to them. Right. But how do you go? Let's say you, you're, you're out there saying right now, Todd Donovan's saying it. Um, I forget who else I read, uh, at least one of the players reading as well. And if you're going to set that line and tow that line and then at the 11th hour decide to let that drop, how do you recover from that? Right. Now, and I've heard from people, I talked to Bobby Warshaw on Friday Soccer Morning, he says that the guys he talked to, he wasn't around for the last one, and he left, he's, uh, he's in Norway right now playing his soccer. But he said the guys he's talked to, they say that they uh, they folded too quick in 2010, that uh, they didn't get what they wanted, and they're not going to make that same mistake, that they uh, got a raw deal the last time around. So on this on the DEFCON scale, Jared, remember five is is um, lowest level of readiness. Everything's cool, and DEFCON one is holy crap. We're going to nuclear war. Where are you? Three. I think it's solid three. Okay. Um, okay. I honestly think there may be a work stoppage of a week or two that would be salvaged, and games will put 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 back into the schedule somewhere else on uh, on free weeks. Um, I, that's the way I see it going down. That's because that, that seems to be the pattern of most athletic uh, league work, work stoppages. You know, the, you end up closing the doors. Players are locked out. A couple weeks later, owners start feeling in their pockets. Players get super nervous. They're not going to have a job, and something gets done. Right. And I, it, it's painful to me that it takes that point to get anything done. But that seems to be the road that we're going to be going down. And I get where you're coming from when you say that this is a line in the sand that the players may feel they have to put down this time around. And I don't fault right. them for it at all. I, I won't be one of these guys that's mad at the players if this season doesn't start. But if this league starts getting to a point where it's in jeopardy due to this, then yeah, they're going to have some of the responsibility on that. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to go with you. I'll stay. I'll, I'll go to DEFCON three. I, I would, I, I have a, a gut that says it should be DEFCON two, but I got to give myself some room just in case. March 6th is the drop dead day. That's the hope. That's when, First kick is supposed to happen, L.A. and Chicago on a Friday night. So we'll see if the if the MLS owners and the players union can get themselves together. DEFCON 3, I think, feels right. That's um increase in force readiness above that required for normal readiness. That's the military. <laughs> that is the most military de definition of a term I've ever heard in my life. It says Air Force ready to mobilize in 15 minutes. Cause, yeah. All right. That's going to do it for the What does it say about the Navy? Shut up. <laughs> That's going to do it for a Sunday night edition of the Best Soccer Show. Make sure you are checking out Backheel.com. Lots of cool stuff happening over there. All of the other shows, there's a bunch of T-shirts and mugs and stuff at Backheel.com slash store. Uh, you can get us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. I have no idea what number. What's our number right now, Jared? You have any idea? Oh, God, we were 400 or something, I think, last time I saw. We wanted to get to 500. Go leave a review right now. Go leave a review right now now yeah do that we, we want to get to 500 that'd be a, a five nice stars tournament. please yes well that too uh obviously humbly ask for five stars all right uh that's gonna do it right anything else what am i missing anything no i think that's it just so you know uh snow snow of the century may impact wednesday night we'll see yeah we'll see we'll see about the snow talk to you guys maybe on wednesday bye Or hello. Get to the
big win. I am Mikkel Morsen and Paulson Diskere. What have you done for me lately? Damn, dog, that's an approach. Jay Rodius.